Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Edge of Tomorrow. Robert Camel, what is my view of gambling in the barracks? Dislike it, Sergeant Farrell. Nance, why do I dislike it? Because it entertains the notion that our fate is in hands other than our own. And what is my definitive position on the concept of fate, Chorus? Through readiness and discipline, we are masters of our fate. You might call that notion ironic. But trust me, you'll come around. This is an American science fiction war action comedy time loop movie. Directed by Doug Lyman. The cast includes Jerry Maverick, Juliet from Nomeo and Juliet, Knuckles McGinty, and Private Game Over Man Hudson. I watched this movie on HBO Max. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on HBO Max. Okay, uh, before we get into our analysis of this movie, we will recap the events in the synopsis that Joey wrote. Joey, go ahead. Aliens have landed on Earth, and it's looking dire for humanity. Creatures from space called Mimics crashed into Central Europe and spent five years spreading as far west as France and as far east as Russia. We have attempted to contain them, but they are mindless, killing machines that tear through infrastructure and people with terrifying ferocity. Humanity's only major victory was at Verdun, where a rookie soldier named Sergeant Rita Vertasky used a state-of-the-art mech suit to defeat hundreds of Mimics and win the day. Her actions gained Vertasky the nickname the Angel of Verdun. Major William Cage is part of the PR operation for the war effort. He has been tasked with reporting from the front lines as the International Army prepares an all-out attack to win back France. Cage does not want to go to the front. He has no combat experience and can't even stand the sight of blood. When he resists, General Brigham strips him of his rank and slots him into the General Infantry. Cage wakes up at the converted Heathrow airport and meets the verbose Master Sergeant Farrell in the colorful J-Squad. Cage attempts to talk his way out of combat and even tries to escape, but they catch him and force him into the mech suit and to the front lines. But somehow the enemy knows they are coming and it is a massacre. The dropship is hit before it lands and people are taken out by the enemy left and right. And the mimics hurtle towards the soldiers at catastrophic speed. Cage uses a claymore to kill a big blue mimic whose blood soaks into his face as he dies. But then he wakes up. He is back at Heathrow before the attack. Cage discovers he is in a time loop. He relives the same day over and over, always going to the beach and dying. He tries to save as many of his crew as he can, but he never makes it far. When he tries to explain what's going on, no one listens or believes him. Eventually, he runs into Rita Vertasky. He tries to save her, but she throws down her sword and tells him to find her when he wakes up. Cage does, locating her while she is training. She tells him that she was stuck in a time loop too, but eventually got out. Vertasky introduces Cage to Dr. Carter, a former physicist who has been studying the mimics. He believes they are a hive mind creature with a limited ability to control time. After Cage killed the big blue alpha mimic, he gained the same powers as the control center of the mimics, which Dr. Carter calls the Omega. Anytime an alpha dies, the Omega resets the day, learning from its mistakes and becoming more deadly the next time. The Omega is hidden, far from the battlefield, but nobody is sure where. 
Cage begins having visions and sees the Omega in an old dam. He and Vertasky decide they will investigate it for themselves. With training and trial and error, Cage and Vertasky eventually make it out of the battle and into the countryside. They make it to an old farmhouse that has a helicopter. Cage stalls and tries to convince Vertasky to stay behind, but she insists on going onward and dies over and over and over. Cage has come to care for her and can't stand to watch her die every day, so he resolves to continue without her. Eventually, he makes it to the dam, but instead of the Omega, he finds a trap. Two mimics disarm him and try to get him to bleed out, but Cage escapes and dies. They need a new approach. General Brigham has a device that Dr. Carter created locked in his safe. Cage and Vertasky sneak their way into Brigham's office and convince him to give them the device. They use it to locate the Omega. It is admiring the art deep below the Louvre in Paris. Unfortunately, while escaping, Cage is knocked unconscious and given a blood transfusion. He loses the power to reset the day. He only has one life left. Cage and Vertasky convince J-Squad to follow them on a suicide mission. They fly a dropship into Paris and make it underground. All of J-Squad is killed, but Cage and Vertasky make it to the Omega. They kiss before each sacrificing themselves to destroy the alien's hive mind. Cage, soaking in the Omega's juices, wakes up once more, except this time he has just landed in London. The war has been won. The mimics have been defeated. The end. There you have it. The events of Edge of Tomorrow. We will begin our analysis with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Edge of Tomorrow? This movie has lots of cool time loop stuff. Uh, Use that mechanic really well. Um, I think Cruz and Blunt are perfect in these roles. They're really, really great. Um, Bill Paxton is also a real treat. I loved seeing him in this movie. Uh, the mimics are really cool looking, and they're, I think they're really great aliens. They feel completely unstoppable. Um, yeah, I want to talk about them more in a minute. When they get going in the mech suits, it's really freaking awesome. Really awesome to watch them uh, fly around with those things. Uh, the movie is funny. Uh, I think the color and style blend together to make a pretty unique looking movie. And of course, this movie features lots of Tom Cruise running, which is one of my favorite things in movies. Yeah, I uh, I agree with uh, a whole lot of that. This movie is incredibly fun, and you know the action and the time loops. It's just like watching somebody play a really fun video game. Uh, and if a video game existed with this kind of mechanic, uh, it could potentially become so frustratingly unplayable. Watching people <laughs> redo the parts that. They have to redo every time would suck, but you get to skip that most of the time. Uh, So that makes it really watchable. I agree. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt are fantastic in this movie. Will Paxton also great. The theme of determination and repetition and sheer will is really effectively established. And honestly, inspirational um i was i was doing like a really big load of dishes yesterday and i was like kind of getting uh discouraged by how long it was taking me to do all these dishes but then i was like would would william cage give up in this situation no you know he had (laughs) so much determination and and so really this movie kind of inspired me uh and Furthermore, William Cage's growth from like literally saying, I'm no soldier, to being a war-ending super soldier uh, is just really badass and, and really cool growth to be able to witness throughout the uh, runtime of this film. So I uh, really like that. Now let's move on to our cons. What did you not like about Edge of Tomorrow? Um, I don't like the ending at all. If you're familiar with this movie, I think you wouldn't be surprised to hear that um there should have been more emphasis on the emotional connection between cage and what was forming between vertasky um and 
uh, some things I felt like just didn't make any sense. Like, why does Cage get sent to the front? I never really felt like that was a loose end. Um, never felt like that was resolved. And I feel like the <laughs> military operation is totally nonsensical. I think they're missing big pieces of that puzzle there. Um, what about you? Yeah, I think this movie's a little light on message. I, I think there's opportunities and there's like kind of implied messages about maybe humanity or even bureaucracy, but it just doesn't go anywhere or really land on anything. Um, I, I agree with you that the mimics are cool looking, but I, I did feel like it got a little boring to see identical like kind of waves of CGI monsters over and over and over again. and it was really difficult to see them because how fast they move. Plus the battlefield, you have so much camera shake. It just made me feel frustrated. I couldn't really tell what was going on. Like I got the feeling of battlefield chaos, but I felt almost robbed of being actually able to discern what the heck is going on. Uh, You know, I wish I could have gotten a little bit more of that. I know that that probably hides a little bit of like CGI that would look wonky if you could see it clearly or uh, also gives you, again, that battlefield chaos. But I kind of just wish I could see it a little bit better. Kind of felt like smash cuts that kind of hide the action versus like really getting you, giving you a chance to witness it. Like we never really got like that many full shots of the battlefield. It's kind of hard to tell what's going on. Again, artistic choice, stuff like that. But my choice is to be a little bit unsatisfied uh, with that choice. (laughs) And um, I think the whole third act is just okay. And in general, I feel like the ending of this movie leaves a lot on the table uh, and it's like there's so many better ways you could go, which I have some ideas that we'll discuss. Uh, and also, I, I agree with your, uh, like, they didn't put enough emphasis on the emotional connection between Cage and Vertasky. I don't think that the kiss was really justified. Uh, I don't care about it. You know, that the, the end, it was more about solving the problem than it was like, oh, like, they're in love. Yeah, so. definitely. That's, uh, that's kind of how I feel about that. So those are our pros and our cons. We'll move on to our overall section and really dive into this movie. But first, I have a question for you, the listener. Don't you hate when the tomato meter is wrong? Don't you wish someone with a brain could influence that number so that it actually reflects reality? Well, Affable Chat is this close to being eligible to be an official Rotten Tomatoes critic. That's right. But we need your help. Review us on Apple Podcasts so we can meet their minimum threshold for eligibility and have your voice heard in the objective sphere of movie ratings. Thank you for your help. Together, we can bring balance to the tomato meter. That's right. Okay, but back to Edge of Tomorrow, Joey. Let's get into the overall section. Um, I really like time loop movies, and there's enough of them that it's becoming its own genre. Uh, for me, Groundhog Day, it will always be the best one. But there has been some notable examples in recent years, like uh, Palm Springs, which we also did a podcast on, and you should go listen to that. Um, I feel like action and time loop and the time loop mechanic are a really awesome pairing, something that you don't see a lot of, especially in an era where video games have been so mainstream. The idea of jumping into a combat situation and figuring out the best way forward over and over and over is something you can do in games for hours. And I think that's what makes Edge of Tomorrow really shine. Um, The action is fun, it's dynamic, it's impactful and visceral. Uh, Compared to the massacre at the beginning of the movie, the awesome moves Cage pulls off in his mech suit really show the breadth of possibility here. I agree with you. I think that the battlefield is pretty poorly shot for the most part, but I think there's a there's a notable difference between when they first land 
and it's just pure chaos and you've no idea even which direction things are happening and then uh, once he starts to become more comfortable with it it does feel like there's like some uh, pieces that feel familiar and uh, different parts that kind of come up and as you uh, even though the mimics are hard to spot or hard to really look at um, as you go through the movie you get kind of used to it and it becomes a little bit more manageable. I think that's a, it's a nice part of the movie. Um, I also really like the mech suits. I think they look great. I like the way they move. I like all the different features they have. I like that they're just so freaking complicated. They're like, in, <laughs> like he puts it on, he can't even find the language uh, section. He's asking people where the safety is, all that stuff. Uh, but once you know how to use them, you can move around the battlefield so smoothly and with such power. It's just awesome. Um, watching uh, Emily Blunt do those like barrel rolls uh, or I guess areola rolls, I think they're called, while she's like with her <laughs> sword, um, like, you know, moving through the air and then slicing through the mimics. Really awesome. And then oh, watching yeah. Kay, the, when Cage does like those, uh, the uh, like speed skating slide across it, oh, especially on like the, um, like the concrete of the training environment. Amazing. Oh, so cool to watch and, and listen to. Um, I think those things look really great. I agree. The like the full sprint that they do makes it look like they're running so quickly. It's like such a mixture yes. of power and finesse. And then when you go to the like when he returns to the scene where we first see J Squad get massacred, uh, but this time, you know, he's a good fighter now and he runs in a circle, kind of protecting them and, and destroying the mimics around them. It just looks so badass, especially with how clunky he starts out falling over and not being able to do anything and then eventually reaching that uh skill level where he is just so fluid yeah i i think the mech suits are one of the best aspects i also really like the aliens um they're mindless killing machines they don't have any personality or complex motivation but i think they work really great i don't think we need complicated aliens for a movie like this i'm even fine with the phantom menace ending where all the mimics are wiped (laughs) out because they lose their wi-fi connection but they look they look super scary and they like to hide in hard to spot places and they're uh, clearly very difficult to deal with i feel like because they're so simple it makes them even more terrifying they're just here to wipe us out and take the planet for themselves you know this is some sort of unstoppable force um i also really like the stylistic choice when the mimics like uh communicate with each other and the camera sort of pulses um i thought yes. that was kind of a neat little uh thing that they, they stuck in there um but yeah i think i think you're right that they are pretty uh they all look identical and th- that makes them pretty um you know uh one-sided right there's not a lot of diversity within the alien ranks it'd been kind of cool to see different uh types of aliens um beyond just like the brutes and the mimics or or the alphas right um maybe you call them the betas and the alphas um <laughs> or the sigmas and the alphas if this movie came out today it would be the sigmas that were the big ones not the alphas <laughs> um well- <laughs> I, I, I agree. Like, I don't want my criticism of the mimics to to just say I completely hate them because I do like how scary they look. I really like the scene where that alpha is just like right in uh, Cage's face, and you get to really get a good look at it because I do think they look interesting and different and scary. I do wish that we had learned more about them though, because I mean, I they're called mimics because they're able to like repeat the like day they, or something like i that may well oh, that's a good point i didn't think about that but i think it's because they hide and stuff right think about that one that attacks j squad right it's like hiding in the rubble and then it like comes out 
Um, the same thing when uh, they're trying to start the helicopter, right? He says there's a mimic buried under the ground. There's one inside of the trailer. They like they like hide in stuff, so like pretending to be something else. I think is kind of the okay. idea. Well, because I um, thought I thought it was that they hit you back with what you hit them with, because there's uh, like a like a scene in the first time you see the beach assault where somebody is running and they like their shoulder mounted cannons like shoot out into the distance like three times or something, and then like exactly three bullets come back at them and kill them mm. and i was like that's the thing is they they get, they get you with what you hit them with so you have to like figure out a way to outsmart them or, or something like that which just didn't really come to fruition um so i i don't know i i felt like there was more because the other thing too is when tom cruise finally or cage learns how to finally use his gun he like is shooting at one of the mimics and it kind of like as it's getting hit it kind of shoots out tentacles in each direction with that pulsing camera uh effect which i thought was like oh is that something where you know, you have to figure out like where to hit it or, or, or you know, or mm-hmm. that's how it reacts. I, it just didn't, it seemed like there was details like to be gleaned there, but it didn't matter uh, or, or really mean anything. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a little bit more depth to your aliens, even if you don't explore it directly in your movie, right. To kind of uh, just show some, you know, diversity or some thought that's going into the, uh, into the, the style of them. Um, but ultimately the aliens are just sort of a foe to be defeated. So I really didn't feel like they needed to focus too much on them. I like what we got. I thought they looked interesting. They're way more interesting than um, the ones in like uh, Cowboys versus Aliens. You, have you ever watched that movie? No, but, but I, I kind of understand. They're, they're much more interesting than the, the CGI monsters that the Avengers fought in right. Endgame. Um, and I agree. Uh, like I don't want to get too caught up in that. I think my kind of imaginations about what the mimics could be is part of my rewrite of this movie to try to make it better as, as a whole, maybe give it a better ending um, that right. could be kind of built up by the mimics potentially. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of directions you could go. But overall, I, I do think this is a really cool movie. It, you know, the objective is simple, win the war. The loop mechanic is simple. If you die, the day restarts. And the theme is simple. Through, sh- through, through sheer discipline and determination, you can be the master of your destiny. And like once all the things are set up you can just have fun with loops and mech suits and it is a lot of fun you know the action is awesome it's fun to watch cage improve through trial and error it's even funny sometimes and you know that's most of what this movie is and it's fun to be along for the ride yeah i completely agree i think it is a really fun movie and i have a lot of issues with it but i still think that it's it's really great to rewatch it. It was really great to watch it in theaters. I remember watching it in theaters in 2014 and um, just really loving the concept and the style of it and everything. It just felt really interesting. It felt really fun. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I recommend this movie for sure. I think this is a movie that people should enjoy. Um, and I don't think it's hard to get into and it's a simple thing to to get through. Um, but I do think it has a ton of problems with this <laughs> plot. Um, So it seems like they could have gone in a completely different direction, like leaned into the parts that worked and ended with an epic climax. But what we got was sort of muddled and half-baked. What is the deal with this military? Why is the general so vindictive toward Cage? It seems like they are setting up some sort of history between the characters where Cage has done something that the general didn't like. so So the general is abusing his power and punishing Cage. But why would it... Why would it make sense to send someone like Cage to the front lines for any other reason, right? Do they need soldiers that badly? Uh, isn't he a liability? Isn't it bad for morale to force a deserter to participate? Even if he was wanted to be there, he has no experience. I just don't understand why you would ever do that. 
I mostly agree with your take on this, but I think the angle they're going for was like the punishment for deserters. It's like you you don't want to fight. Well, then you get to go to the battlefield with no weapon, essentially, because nobody t- teaches him how to take his safety off. So it's like right. we we could just kill you, but instead we're gonna like send you to the front line. Although, like uh, that seems like a pretty expensive military equipment uh, to just waste. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna do that, maybe just like send him by himself out there. So yeah, I just kind of yeah, I agree. It doesn't really make that much sense. They were tr- I think they were trying to go for this like the whole world is united in fighting this war. Um, but like also why is this the way you're going to do it? Well, why do they need one more infantryman? Right? Like why, <laughs> why do they send him down there to do this? Exactly. I mean, I understand the general wants to have some sort of like PR thing, but like does this cage not have any say in how that goes about. Right. And he, like he certainly is worried for his safety for good reason. These things are terrifying. And like, um, you know, it turns out that he's mostly right to be afraid, right? Because uh, th- like it was an ambush and it was turned out to be a really bad situation. Um, so, and, but even the, the, uh, you know, the mechanism of the assault, right? Where they're sending in all these drop ships, right? Is, it almost seems like they're prepared to have this all out war. So, well, I don't understand why, what, like what benefit it is to send him like on the uh, like down there unless the general was like oh like uh you said something about you know the uk or something like you said something about ireland and i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna uh you know punish you for it or so, or or whatever right um i felt like that was something that it was like building to it just felt so irrational for him to just be so um gung-ho about sending someone with no experience to the front line to die Right. Unless he was specifically trying to had it out for him specifically. Yeah, I agree. It did, it did kind of seem random, like you, especially because he's not even in this military. He's like in a different army. He's American. Yes. So it's like weird to have some other general be like, yeah, actually, you're under my command now and I'm going to do this. And they like expect no repercussions. You know, like the American right. military should be, I mean, if we're thinking about I, like current global politics, it's like I feel like the U.S. military would be the ones who would be doing this, not the British. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly. Um, but you know, this is before Brexit, so. Um, this, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I assume that what what Cage is doing as a PR guy, right, as a former ad exec, um, is valuable to the military, right? So, like, is his does he he not have a role to play that's not shooting a gun, right? Do they not need people that do that? I, I just, I just don't, I, just, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, the other thing too is he is an ad man, and I feel like that didn't come back around. You know, no, like it, it seemed like that he was specifically talented at being able to sell a narrative, and it would have been cool if that came back around and helped him achieve his victory somehow. Like maybe being like oh look i know all this stuff about you so believe me that's fine i guess but what if he was able to sell like a certain narrative that ends up changing their plans on the day and then that helps them survive you know he's or or you know yeah he, yeah yeah it's like his ability to influence mass audiences is like could have been key to his uh, like victory he's like i don't know the uh you know uh real champions of the uh, world defense army smoke lucky strike cigarettes so we shouldn't <laughs> invade france today and then you can avoid dying 
Um, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think this movie certainly has a uh, an axe to grind with ad execs, which is um, sort of hilarious considering it's um, it's famous for its poor marketing. Um, it's like <laughs> you know, it's like it, it equates um, being a you know a, a ad man to being a coward uh, because he's certainly portrayed as being cowardly at the beginning. So those two things are similar uh, for this movie. Um, yeah, I, I think it does, from a plot perspective, I think it does make sense to send someone to the front line who has new experience because you get to see the war through their eyes and his improvements in training are more impactful and satisfying to watch. Uh, plus, when he starts on his time loop bullshit, no one takes him seriously. Um, but you need to have like a better reason for be there than just the, like, the general's whim. Uh, give me an emotional conflict between the characters that's resolved by Cage's selflessness arc. Um, it just feels like such a loose end to leave uh, hanging. Um, and you're right, there's just even more opportunity to tie that in with his, uh, you know, his other abilities. Um, I feel like there should have been some sort of secret operation that was studying the mimics and their time travel powers beyond just Dr. Carter. Some sort of top secret American military research team that's all, that all shared Dr. Carter's theory and were commissioned to pursue any leads, no matter how ludicrous they are, right? This is a worldwide threat, right? We're talking about this. Everyone in the world is facing these aliens and um, uh, we all have to solve this problem together, right? So it makes sense for like some independent firm that's like, D buried deep within the cia headquarters to be like well we have this crazy theory that we're going to pursue and if anyone f like finds out about it the cia will disband us but we're going to pursue it anyway um just because there's like on the one percent chance it's right you know yeah. um it would have I been mean, cool if the angel of verdun was just like the the first you know hints that there's like an actual another war happening on a different kind of playing field that's like yes. a time war right and yes. and in his, his ability to interface with that makes him a major player in that conflict which is the real conflict right yes. and then like that kind of unlocks the second or the last part of the movie or something like that Exactly. I mean, what I was thinking about was how in the 50s and 60s, the CIA was experimenting with mind control with MK Ultra. Like aliens that can do time loops are, I feel like is not that far <laughs> off in terms of crazy, you know, but we're just, we're just used to doing it, like just trying anything, throwing shit up, shit at the wall until it works, you know? So yep. I feel like uh, when, when you have this person who suddenly un inexplicably has this insane power right who like she shows up at the first day in a battlefield and destroys all these mimics when nobody else could right they have all they have obviously have these mech suits but she wasn't the only one wearing them why was she so special you know it, they should have taken her seriously it should have uh, you know uh, investigated more thoroughly um and not just dissected her or whatever they were doing you know um and l listen there's probably tons and tons of evidence that dr carter was right his theory probably explains lots of different mysteries that have come up over the last five years this is a world-ending event so you know any and all ideas should be entertained i just would have liked some sort of team of researchers maybe they captured a mimic or something and were studying how it worked or it could offer cage some time travel advice um that would have like really elevated this movie and made it feel like it was humanity that was fighting this problem not just cage and for um yeah, because I, I don't know, the individualistic nature of this movie where it's just basically just them two versus the whole world, right? Not just the aliens, but their superiors and everyone else, right? Nobody wants to talk to them. Nobody wants to take them seriously is, is a problem for me because it doesn't feel like we were unified as a humanity. And ultimately, I feel like this movie is in a weird way pro-war you know because it's like only through the battlefield is like true heroism you know, <laughs> gained. It's It just feels like 
and, and even like uh, when he's talking to Vertasky in the car, right? He's trying to he's trying to peel back the layers to try to figure out like what makes her tick. Um, she's she's ultimately he's like that's just war. It's just how war is, right? And it's sort it's sort of this melancholy moment, but it's also this kind of excuse to be like. We, you know, it, you know, we, we all change because uh, war has changed us. We, you know, we we're holding on to our humanity or holding on to what we love is is this isn't as important as winning the war, which is something I just fundamentally disagree with. So, yeah, I, well, there's this one quote that I think uh, made me scratch my head because it didn't really amount to anything. So let's listen to it real quick. For all we know, there are thousands, millions of those asteroids floating around in the cosmos like a virus. And they're just waiting to crash land into a world with just the right conditions. All they need is for the dominant life form to attack and... And there'll be nothing to stop the mimics from conquering the rest of the world. Unless you change the outcome. Me? When you killed that Alpha, you inadvertently entered the enemy's nervous system. Kate, you've seized control of the Omega's ability to reset the day. How's that even possible? Perhaps this organism's only vulnerability, it's, it's only vulnerability, is humanity. And it's like, what is that actually pointing at? Um, like, I, I think there's a lot of qualities that you can kind of, uh, you know, give to humanity that are good and could be used to stop something like this. Like our perseverance, kind of our tenacity, our ability to un- unite around a good, like, like behind a good cause. But... Yeah. It doesn't really seem like, like you said, like it's humanity that stops them. It's one human, two humans, maybe, uh, that really stop them. Not, and, and if anything, the rest of humanity is a big obstacle. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't think it is clear exactly what what uh, quality humanity has that other intelligent species wouldn't have, right? Um, so I don't know. I just don't understand exactly what the you know, what, what we're supposed to learn from that. And it does feel like some sort of loose end, you know, some, some sort of philosophical meaning thing that we're, we're throwing out there. I feel like this movie does have some sort of philosophical um, message, right, about fate and, you know, changing your life, perhaps. But I don't think that it really um, coalesces into anything uh, solid. It's just sort of this vague notion that, like, you know, because we're smarter, we can figure out this problem, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it just does. It seems just kind of random, and it gets like again. I'm behind them, no matter how they do it, because I'm. I think this is a badass movie, and you know, I want them to win. But it it feels like it. It almost is a little bit hollow because they do it. You know, kind of without having some sort of underlying message that really resonates. It's kind of like, uh, you know, bureaucracy is kind of bad. You know, like when there's one person in charge of a lot of stuff, like they kind of are blind to things and also. Uh, like this aliens, uh, you know, weakness is us uh, somehow. So we'll win. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> um, all right. I guess I can go along with that. But it just comes across as a little bit. Yeah. Underwhelming. Well, that's the thing is the military's plan is just so asinine, right? It just feels like they're just going to throw bodies at the problem until it goes away. They have these exosuits that make people into super soldiers, but ultimately there's still no match for the mimics, right? So that it's not really an even fight one way or the other. Like, I mean, they're ta- they've taken over, they show the map at the like in the title sequence of this movie and they've taken over most of Europe. Uh, so it's like, where are the nukes? You know, where are the drones? Uh, you know, where are the mimic diagrams? Like, shoot it at the center mass, watch out for missiles. I, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's 
maybe that's too much detail uh, for this no, movie. But I don't think so. Um, I mean, again, yeah, maybe there's a reason why they didn't do the nukes because, like, maybe they're they're like the mimics mimic what we do, right? Sure. So it's like if we use a nuke on them, they'll, they'll nuke us. But I think they, I, I thought this was what they were leading towards. They were like, are like new mech suits change the course of the battle by giving those mech suits even an like untrained soldier can become a killing a mimic killing machine and they have this big victory at verdun and yeah. it's like we've we've changed the course of the battle then we land in france what's this the mimics are now mechanized and have the same thing and they're like mimicking us and they like by us raising like the the like firepower level they match it you know and then it's like how do you defeat something that's going to give you the same thing right back and i know that's kind of changing the whole thing because now it's not a time thing it's like a mimicking thing but <laughs> i i just found i i feel like that would maybe save this idea that they thought the mech suits were going to have them win the day when they just walked right. into a slaughter right well, which turned out to be sort of a red herring right because it because they attribute uh Vertasky's victory to the mech suit but ultimately it's her time powers that that do it which right. nobody takes seriously right so it, yeah it doesn't really make any sense because because ultimately if they knew that they could do this right then you could in theory capture an alpha and use its blood to create a squadron of you know time loop soldiers i don't know how that would work exactly would they all be in the same loop or they'd be independent loops i don't know but that'd be a fun <laughs> thing to figure out wouldn't it um yeah, I don't know. I, I I feel like there's this feeling of hopelessness that's a really powerful part of this movie, which I, I actually really like. Uh, but it's really frustrating to watch uh, what feels like your what, what really frustrating to watch uh, your side feel like it's not trying. You know, it's much more devastating to have a good plan that fails than a bad plan that fails. That's why this is why in horror movies when you're when your characters act like real people, the movie is scarier because. Um, you can still kill them, right? You don't have to be, you don't have to just kill the stupid characters. You can kill the smart characters too, and that makes it more terrifying for the audience because then you're, you, when you're like, oh, I agree with that person, they did something I would do, and they still die. Um, it becomes that much more visceral, right? Whereas in this movie, it's like if I was a general, I wouldn't be doing any of these things. You know, I would be uh, thinking about this totally differently. Um, and uh, so that makes it frustrating to watch us lose when it feels like we could change our strategy. Um, but, you know, you could still have us have a good strategy and still lose. That would still be a good movie. No, agreed. It, it, I mean, it just makes it more, that much more compelling to feel like everybody's trying. Yes. It, I mean, <laughs> having one side seem to not be trying just seems like an unnecessary thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie is infamous for its ending. Um, I remember seeing this in theaters in 2014 and thinking that I really like this movie, but the ending freaking sucks. And watching it again, I agree with 20-year-old Joey. I don't think this, I don't think it's bad enough to undercut the rest of the film. I just think it doesn't work for me. Um, first, uh, let's go through the events here. First, Cage loses his time loop powers. Um, this is meant to raise the stakes, right? He only has one life left. Makes sense. Um, next, the recruit they recruit the underdeveloped J squad, which off screen cage has learned enough about to convince them that he is magic would have been nice to kind of see a little bit of that. But regardless, um, they crash land at, uh, at night in Paris and most of J squad doesn't even survive the crash. <laughs> <laughs> they smash through the glass pyramid at the Louvre and enter a parking garage that is mostly destroyed. Then Emily and blunt and Tom, Emily blunt and, uh, Tom Cruise kiss and they separate to kill the Omega. So let's focus on the setting 
for just a second here because I think it really proves my point here. They have a location, right? The Louvre. Uh, actually, I read that uh, Paris is a no-fly zone, which means that they couldn't get aerial shots of the Louvre from a plane. They actually ah. have a really tall crane they use to get the aerial shots. Uh, I'm I'm cool with the alien being at the Louvre. I don't care that it's only it's a, that the Louvre is only an important place for humans. Uh, it has to be somewhere. Either you put it somewhere recognizable, or you have a scene where they locate its precise location. It doesn't matter. Um, what what matters is that you have a location, and then you immediately replace it with a bunch of rubble. Uh, why not have them fighting through the hallways with the art? Why not have the mimics inside the walls or pretending to be sculptures or something? The movie's climax is all about taking the cool stuff you set up and then just throwing it away. Edge of Tomorrow has two really awesome things. It has a time loop and an action setting and the mech suits. And neither of them play a role in the climax. Uh, it just feels like a totally missed opportunity. It's like we set up all these cool things to do and then we're not going to do them. Um, if they're worried about the alphas resetting the day, then have a fight with an alpha where it can anticipate Cage's moves just like Cage can anticipate it. Maybe this is where we bring in the Delta Force that has been training in secret for a mission like this. They're super good with the mech suits and smash all sorts of stuff while looking awesome. And J-Squad is just a total waste. You know, they're fun, colorful characters, but uh, killing them off before they even land is just really disappointing. Yeah, I like that idea of the Delta Force. Like, maybe they have, like, upgraded mech suits that have, like, yes. one of their eyes covered by a screen, and it's like using alpha blood to be able to tell like multiple futures and it's like okay it's gonna like it and they like shoot where it's going to be and then it goes there you know and it's like <laughs> you know they start like using time against it you know upping the ante again yes yes exactly um i, I think there's an obvious reason the finale is so bland you know it's just that they ran out of money they only have only so much capital for special effects and use it all up i mean i think i only have i have two things i can say to that uh which is first of all money's not real and second of all, when you've got movies like with Tom Cruise in them, you can't lose. That's so, so true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking the entire time I was watching this movie. And, and I agree. I mean, it's obvious that there's the, the ending is missing something. Um, and, and even though I really do appreciate the like kind of twist they had where the visions of the dam were actually a trap that was laid yes. by the Omega. I, I thought that was I like great. that too. Because, you know, a Real Voldemort right? shit. Yes, yeah. yeah, but then they turned around and they were like, uh, just use this magic science device to get a good vision, like the, the same thing, uh, basically, <laughs> and then that then you can solve it, right? And I think that's stupid, um, you know, and I think I have a lot of ideas of like how to like other ways we could do it that I think we should discuss. Uh, like, yeah. for instance, what if the visions were a trap, but like because the Omega is kind of interfacing with Cage, Cage is able to glean some other information, maybe understanding what the Omega wants and why it's here on Earth. What if the Omega is actually here for something specific and then Cage is able to find out what that is through his mind connection and then he's able to be like, okay, it wants, I don't know, copper or some other like <laughs> mineral or some shit and then the scientists are like well it would go to the biggest deposit of that which can be found here it's like that's why it landed in europe because such and such thing is there and maybe that's why we have to go right and then that can ha like help us understand our enemies more the, the, or, the omega is like surrounded by <laughs> ipads or something it's like he's it, like the, the omega loves watching baby shark he's like oh it's because <laughs> it loves cobalt we have to go to africa that's where it's landed 
Right. Or even if you want to do something ludicrous where it's like it really has this connection with humanity and it's like the reason it went to the Louvre is because it loves art or, or creativity. <laughs> it like, you know, it like yeah, it has yeah. some sort of connection there. I don't know um, that. But I just feel like they had an opportunity to, to really change, like shift gears. And, and it they were like, no, we're just going to change it slightly. So it's still about using the visions to find the Omega and blow it up. So it's like, yeah, you misdirected, but not really. Um, right. So also talking about kind of like the mimics, uh, we've already talked about a few different ideas. And again, this is really changing the movie at this point. But I think it would have been cool if the mimics could disguise themselves as humans. And maybe that was why the general was acting so strange. Because Ooh. he was actually a mimic. And he was intentionally sending the humans into a slaughter to destroy the human army uh, like all at one time, right? And then Cage could confront him and and kill him, but then on the next go around, the general sees it coming and he's got the same power. So then we get a like a showdown between two people who have that ability and they have to disable the general without killing him or even like mix his blood so that he loses it and it's like you know, maybe he's uh, like a traitor and, and that, that would be super ironic, right? Like he's not a mimic, but he teamed up with the mimics to help them defeat the humans. And then it's like, he's got, yeah, he's got some sort of connection to the Omega and it's like, it's infected his mind or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you like, I, you, you like traitorous bastard. Like you think that I, like you talked down to me for being a coward. Well, that's not as bad as being a traitor mm. um, or some shit like that. Like it, it, I just feel like there was a lot of opportunity there. I like the discussion with the general and him literally having like the device in his safe right behind him in his office was like, what is going on here? Is this a dream? Um, like it just, I don't know. I felt like that was weird. And then I agree with you. I, I don't think that, bringing J squad in to help like save the day at the end was good. Uh, like J squad was lovable, if not completely forgettable. Uh, like I, I felt, I felt like their odd assortment of accents was the most memorable thing about them for me. Like I could not remember anybody's names and I, I didn't really feel like it mattered. Um, like they were so easily convinced to, to like join the, the like, or to leave rather. And then go to, France, uh, when earlier similar foresight from Cage didn't convince them at all. Um, yeah. So I feel like their involvement was kind of pointless. Um, and I would have preferred that they had, you know, I just, I, I think their involvement was just a big waste of time. So uh, in general, I feel like that the third act really is what keeps this movie from being a true banger. Uh, and instead, what we have is just okay. I still enjoyed it, I still thought it was cool. Uh, but could, I just feel like there's so much potential here um, that they kind of left it all on the table. Um, so I, I do yeah. have a few questions that I feel like we should address uh, okay. in regards to this movie to try to uh, fully understand it. So first of all, how did Rita know that she lost her power without dying? <laughs> when she when, okay, when she's about to stab Cage, right when he's on the table. And, uh, you know, he's just got the blood transfusion. He's like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, why did that work this time? You know, every <laughs> we saw over and over again how she, he would beg for his life and she would just kill him anyway. Uh, but this time when it actually matters, he's able to stop her from, from conflicting some sort of lethal wound and not re like before realizing that she actually killed him on purpose. Uh, like, like, I, I think it would have been more effective to say somebody else who also had the power that she knew lost yeah. it and then died for real and she's like she's just gone right or something right, like right. that 
Yeah, I mean, he says like, um, I can feel that I've lost the power or something like that, which whatever. I, I you know, <laughs> I, I'm okay with that, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's it's sort of it's one of those things where, um, if you're gonna start using this mechanic of like you know killing him, which is kind of, which is fun, you know, it is really that sequence when uh, he gets shot in the head and then he wakes up to the word maggot uh, like over and over again is. Uh, pretty is pretty good i really like that um uh you you have to be you have to take into account the possibility that you're wrong you know what if what if he doesn't have this power you're just murdering a a man for no reason you know (laughs) it just feels like uh, the the risk there is pretty high but whatever i guess i guess all humanity's at risk here so it's (laughs) kind of gamble you can make yeah um shit has truly hit the fan um, in this world um okay here's another question for you who would win the Edge of Tomorrow mechanized infantry or the Avatar Space Marines? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think the uh, Edge of Tomorrow guys um, really demonstrate a proficiency with their tools, right? You see them kind of moving around, right? And they certainly know how to work it better than Cage does when he first lands. Um, but, you know, they're still pretty clunky. They're all like, they're still working as like a normal like military troop instead of like really utilizing their new powers um you don't see them like kind of being dynamic across the uh battlefield yeah i i agree as much as i love these mechanized suits the uh the avatar space marines are kind of the other side of the coin in this conflict where they're kind of the invasive aliens who are uh, relentless and almost soulless uh so i agree as much as i think it would be a very fun conflict to watch uh i think it would uh, would i would give it to the avatar space marines although um uh, you know, you, you could say Edge of Tomorrow, maybe they get the Tom Cruise uh, time ability, so maybe that he could use that to his advantage. But Avatar is such a long movie, I don't think it would actually work. You know, he would, he, Tom Cruise would eventually <laughs> get exhausted and lose that uh, sheer will and determination. He would just I give see, up. I see. It would just be, it would just be such a slog that he wouldn't be able to remember all the different cues he needs to take. <laughs> That's right. It would just take him too long to do all that. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, okay, uh, one last question. When Cage blows up the Omega, is the juices, as as you labeled them earlier, um, mixed <laughs> with his blood, and he wakes up in the helicopter? So, is Cage still trapped in a time loop? It certainly certainly seems like it certainly seems that way, right? And he gets reset to an even earlier time than he did before, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, <laughs> was that what the Omega was trying to do? And if that's true, then why didn't that work? You know, like and then, like yeah. So what? Like I, when uh, when Doctor Carter says it has the ability to control time, that makes me think you know its powers are pretty varied. You know, yeah. So uh, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like this move again, like everything sort of compounds as far as the ending goes right it just sort of gets worse and worse <laughs> this thing here where he's like um you know soaking in the uh in the juices of the of this uh, alien being <laughs> is um it, it, like it's this happy ending that feels kind of tacked on and on honestly i mean reading the development of this they didn't even know how to end this movie and there was an original um the original idea was that, or at least an idea that was seriously considered, was that they were going to lose this fight. It was going to have this horror movie button ending where um, they thought that they succeeded or something, or they were about to succeed, and then they get hit 
in midair and everyone dies because one of the uh Alpha, because it killed one of the alphas and it like anticipated their movements and was able to stop them before they even started um it was sort of implying that they never really won um but the ultimately doug lyman thought that you know thinks this movie more of a, of a comedy than it is like more than like a thriller or a horror movie so you wanted to have that sort of happy ending and i think this was also pushed by tom cruise as well which you know i think agrees with the tone of the movie i don't i don't disagree that a happy ending uh, would work. I just don't think that this one uh, is well set up or makes any sense. It feels like they've taken whatever good graces, good graces they've given us for the first two acts of this movie and have been like, okay, uh, we're rewriting the rules now for uh, a different kind of thing and you're just going to have to accept it. And honestly, the movie's over, so you don't even have to think about it that long. Just like, go home, you know, <laughs> you're done with this. Right, right. Well, <laughs> we're, all ti- <laughs> we're all tired of it. Let's go home. <laughs> well, not to continue being script doctor PhD over here, but um, I think it would have been cool if Tom Cruise is like, uh, he goes his more PR angle. And the way that they actually solve it is by actually finding a way to like unite humanity. And then that ends up being the thing that solves, like destroys the Omega. And then when they do destroy the Omega, it resets, like Tom Cruise is the same thing. He gets soaked in his blood, whatever. And it resets back to when they first saw the asteroid coming in from space. And then it crashes into the earth. And then you get to see like everybody fighting over it. And it's not like the, the thing that united humanity like not doesn't happen and tom cruise sees that it is possible to like kind of bring people together and they would have like this kind of like uh humans don't need to fight each other like there's no reason for us to be so conflicted but then like it resets to that but tom cruise has had this vision of a united planet or something like that you know um again very different from what we have so it's kind of unfair to be like well you could have just done this but um that, no yeah. but I've been, it, i think that i think that and the third act, this is the thing, right? The third act sucks, but they have so much goodwill up to that point that you keep thinking they're going to pull something out of their hat, right? So I think having some sort of twist where you change the rules or you do something wild, like you travel, yeah, you travel back in time five years or something like that. I think you could do that. I think you could pull that off because I think up to that point, you've developed so much goodwill with your audience that you could do something really out of left field and and um, have it turn out good. Uh, you know, just like really sell the action and uh fun of this movie and not worry so much about like oh like uh uh we don't know what to do here so we're just gonna kind of figure it out as we go along i don't know it just feels so it feels so half-assed you know it feels like we 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 don't really have an idea of what's um of how to end this movie so they just kind of uh threw stuff at the wall until until they found something that was good enough Right. It, it, instead, we get Tom Cruise stuck in an internal hell, and it, you know he lives an entire lifetime, and then returns to his you know mid thirties, uh, where he gets to do <laughs> wakes up in a helicopter. Again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, um, let's go ahead and move on to our cool Easter eggs. And uh, what do you got for us? Um. So uh, while they were developing this movie. Uh, Tom Cruise, I think, was part of the pitch toward the um, studios, or he was involved in it. And he said that he liked the idea of his character dying over and over again, like he was Wiley Coyote in Roadrunner. <laughs> I mean, that was the thing that he thought was like was fun about it, which is which is true. Actually, I read some article that said that Tom Cruise's characters rarely die in his movies. Like you can count on one hand how often that happens. And uh, in this movie, he's like he dies over and over again. Um, which is which is fun. I, I it is is good. 
and he's just he's just such a great actor the um i i, I remember seeing this a long time ago uh, and i completely agree with it like tom cruise has like two speeds um running and talking <laughs> and like what one of them in some of his movies he's like it's his his character is very you know charismatic right and and it has this kind of uh draw to him i'm thinking maybe like a tom cruise or like a like a uh top top gun maverick or jerry mcguire or something where he's like playing uh this you know very emotional uh you know uh character and then uh, a lot of his other movies he's like action hero right he doesn't have necessarily a lot of uh character development but he's like the guy at the center he's doing his own stunts he's jumping around and doing all this stuff and edge of tomorrow is sort of the combining of both of those things at the beginning of the movie he's like you know this very personable um you know charming guy and then by the end of the movie he's he's super action star right and uh he's, he's completely changed and um that that kind of transition is sort of fascinating to watch um it go over so he gets to play both of those parts um in this which i think is which i think is good he's he he definitely earns that um because he definitely can pull both of them off yeah i agree he's super charismatic it, like we joke about that line from on cinema but it really is true when you've got movies like with tom cruise in them you can't lose uh i always enjoy watching his movies um let's uh let's keep going with our cool easter eggs the one that i found that i i had no idea they even indicate this in the film i i didn't see where they did but on imdb it says this movie takes place in 2020 yes uh, well it it takes place well the movie came out in 2014 and the asteroid impact is like 2015 and then they say five years passes so ah, i think you're supposed to fill in the gaps yourself got it got it which I, yeah it just hilarious you know the uh, hilarious that there's a world ending event <laughs> in 2020 <laughs> a horrendous year no matter what like uh whether it's reality or a fictional uh, reality i wonder um, how many times that's true i'm sure that is true for a lot of movies <laughs> um Okay, so another one. We talked about this movie being a um, box office failure. Uh, it, it still managed to turn a profit worldwide, but its marketing strategy was changed for its DVD release. In this case, on the front of the video box, the film's tagline was emphasized heavily with the title Edge of Tomorrow in small text at the very bottom of the case. As a result of the packaging, it gives the illusion that the film's title is Live, Die, Repeat. Warner Brothers maintained that the title of the film had not been changed and that Live, Die, Repeat was only a tagline, yet this appears in front of Edge of Tomorrow, not just on the cover, but on the spine of the packaging and even on the discs. The rental company Redbox has the film listed under the letter L in its kiosks, and all online retailers have the digital streaming version titled Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, which I think is, is a great name for this movie. I think it's way better than Edge of Tomorrow. Live that repeat live yeah. tomorrow. Um, yeah, so this is a whole this is a whole controversy, right? So the movie is based off of a Japanese novel or, or manga uh, called um, uh, "All You Need Is Kill," um, which was what the movie was originally going to be titled. But then um, the studio execs became nervous about the about the word "kill" being in the title. They thought it had a negative connotation, which would um, you know keep people from going to see it. Um, Doug Lyman said that he didn't want to title the movie All You Need Is Kill. He felt like that didn't fit the tone of the movie that he had directed. And his preferred uh, title was Live, Die, Repeat. Um, and he got into a whole argument with an executive at 
Warner Brothers about uh, what the name of the movie should be. They insisted that it should be Edge of Tomorrow, while he wanted to be called Live, Die, Repeat. And then, as you can tell, they still don't seem to know what the name of the movie is. <laughs> they <laughs> they have it on the... Even though they have some sort of official title, right? I mean, I was able to search for Edge of Tomorrow on HBO, and it came up, right? Uh, Live, Live, Die, Repeat is certainly a prominent part of the title. I don't know. I think All, uh, all You Need Is Kill is not a very good title. I don't think Agreed. it really makes any sense. Um, you know, it, it's... It feels like they mistranslated it on purpose um, in, a, in a way that doesn't... And I don't even think it really necessarily means anything. All You Need Is Kill doesn't really seem to indicate what the movie's about. Live, Die, Repeat, uh, I don't know. It makes me think of Shampoo, so I don't really know if that, like... <laughs> I don't really know if that's what I want from this movie exactly, you know? Um, this I, one's I, a two-in-one. You'd live and die at the same time. Live, die, yeah, that's right, two-in-one. <laughs> uh, I think, I don't know, I, I've been thinking about Edge of Tomorrow, the title. I think I, I think that I like that one the most because it sort of implies that tomorrow is a weapon, right? Like you use ed, the edge of... Mm. A, like a, of a sword or something to like fight your enemy and it's like tomorrow is never coming but it's like you're on the cusp of it right so the edge of tomorrow i don't know i feel like that's kind of clever um but uh ultimately this whole thing is such a mess because they could they should have just stuck with one thing and, and never <laughs> gone one way or the other because it just makes everyone feel like uh this is some sort of diagnosis right if the movie was better then we wouldn't be talking about we wouldn't be wondering why <laughs> it went wrong. You know what I mean? We wouldn't be yeah, having yeah. this 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 diagnosis about what's going on. Um, so it, it's really, I really do feel like it, it falls apart in its plot structure. And that's why people are looking for reasons to blame it for its poor success. Right. And even that's not even really true because it didn't make, a, it didn't make money. It just wasn't right. quite as big as the other ones. And um it was competing with Maleficent and uh, all uh, Fault of Your Stars, which came out the same week, uh, which was, um, you know, also which were also big movies, but don't, not necessarily appealing to the same demographic. Um, and Tom Cruise was on his like uh, independent, uh, I say independent, but like non-franchise movie streak at this point, right? He he did uh, Night and Day around this time with Cameron Oblivion Diaz. too. Oblivion right? came out around this, uh, I think maybe the year before, which was very similar to this movie, and it was like a sci-fi future where the moon had blown up and he was flying a helicopter around. Also, a pretty good movie. Um, but like, uh, you know, this was it's kind of like a, a kind of a lull, I guess, in the franchise period of Tom Cruise's career. Um, and I'm I'm certainly happy to have these kind of more unique movies come out. Uh, but ultimately, I do think that it is the plot itself that falls apart way more than it's the um, uh, the title, right? That that got people into the seats. I also read an article about the the trailer and how the trailer doesn't emphasize enough uh, the uh, time loop aspect of the movie, um, which uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with. That was certainly something that I got from when watching the movie. It something that made me want to co-see it. So um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, it can't really, I don't know. It's hard to diagnose exactly what went wrong, um, but it is uh, this like, it certainly makes the studio look like it doesn't know what it's doing when you have this, 
argument about the title, which apparently like Doug Lyman had to call the executive and apologize eventually because they've gotten into such a big fight about it. And, um, and then like this, you know, the, the ending feeling like a, the studio interfered to make it into some sort of, sort of happy ending when it didn't seem to work with the rest of the movie. You know, it, it just feels like there's a lot of, uh, interference going on, um, in the vision here. And, um, ultimately it becomes this, uh, kind of muddled success in a way. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's just a, a part of making movies, especially big budget movies, is that there's so many co- uh, cooks in the kitchen, and yes. uh, you just gotta, you know, that's why you can really just feel good when the process works out. Unfortunately, it doesn't always, but you know, I guess the lows help you appreciate the highs because um, it's sure. definitely one of the lows from that perspective. Uh, one more cool Easter egg for us. It's. Uh, I don't even know who they're specifically referring to here. I found this on IMDb. They said, The filmmakers described this project as a cross between Groundhog Day and Starship Troopers. And uh, we recently did an episode on Starship Troopers, so I feel qualified to say that, yes, uh, this does feel like a cross between Groundhog Day and Starship <laughs> Troopers, especially with how dispensable all of the uh, you know military people are in the beginning of the movie and the way you see them just get massacred. Very Starship Troopers-esque. And, yes. uh, and it, you know, again, something I really liked about this movie, the hopelessness and the despair I felt on the battlefield was definitely haunting. Uh, I would even say, like, while definitely not as haunting, uh, reminiscent of Saving Private Ryan. I was thinking uh, the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, except that, you know, Saving Private Ryan doesn't have the, like, the the comedic twist to it, right. you know? Where, 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 like, yeah, suddenly everyone dying feels a little less impactful when you see it over and over again, right? When, when Cruz is uh, on the battlefield for, you know, the hundredth time, um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter as much. Um, which sort of takes the sting out of it, but it when you first see it, it is devastating. It's like it is really terrifying to see, to watch. Um, and, the first yeah, time I mean, the floor opened up on the dropship, oh, yeah. I got that sensation. Like my palms got sweaty, my feet got like light. I was like had that feeling of when you're really high up on something, you feel like you're gonna fall off. It was horrific. I, I do think they established the hopelessness of his first attempt really well. Yeah, I think I, I mean credit should be given to. Doug Lyman and the editors of this film to really, you know, give that feeling, you know, uh, even if it's not stuck around, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty powerful. Um, and, uh, the, again, the, the hopelessness and the kind of desperation that, uh, w- like the characters feel is really palpable. Um, it, yeah, I think that the tone of this movie is, is pretty remarkable. Okay, well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation on Edge of Tomorrow, as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat. We'll now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to this movie? I give this movie uh, Tom Cruise handing me a cup of coffee just before he watches me die. (laughs) Um, I actually read that in the book, Rita is, uh, her mother is a coffee addict. And um, that was like something she passed on to her daughter. And during the war, like coffee production pretty much stops and everybody uh, is drinking like synthetic coffee. Uh, So finding that coffee there is like a big moment for her. And like it shows that he understands her because he understands her backstory. And and, like she only owns one personal uh, like item and it's a coffee grinder. So there there was that was like a kind of nod to the original text, which I thought was cool. Uh, No way you'd know that just by watching the movie but still yeah. um 
kind of cool. So the rating I want to give to this movie is a quick death so it can start the day over and improve itself on the next try. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's going to do it for Edge of Tomorrow. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's right. Going to see this Sequel one in theaters. The other Spider-Verse movie. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Yes. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, if you're still here, you're a real champion. And, uh, you know, please review us on iTunes so we can get onto the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, AppleChat.com is your new favorite website. On the internet there, you can find the latest from us and all our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AppleChat, and even our email address, AppleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you need is kill. Um, have you considered <laughs> listening to Affable Chat? Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.